Gary, it's good that we're doing this because um, if we weren't recording tonight, I had planned on uh, on doing eye racing. No comment. <laughs> Nothing. No, although I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that looking forward to playing you in NCAA. I'm like already letting the nerves get to me. I think I might might have to have a few drinks beforehand just to. We're like. We're like better when I'm tipsy. We're like a week and a half from that. You're already uh, letting the, the we nerves. We were talking about to... it when I was. At, we were talking about it when I was at your house. So I know, but still, I mean, like I don't know. You're getting all psyched out about it already. I mean, sounds like you're Tennessee waiting for this Alabama yeah. game, and I can make that joke because Amy's not going to listen to this podcast. Uh, well, they they handled themselves last week. Um, they did. But are we talking about Tennessee, or is this on the? We are. Um, and so welcome to uh, to Run Pine Option, and welcome back. It's been a a couple of weeks we've had some uh some COVID obstacles to to get through and um but we are back and uh we're back after a trip post COVID um that we took together uh but uh welcome back to run pine option the college football podcast where two friends talk football while one friend enjoys a choice pint and that other friend joining me today is of course my co-host and soon to be NCAA loser Carrie Crongard we're recording on September 28th and I am enjoying a lovely pint by Tailgate Brewery. It's their orange wheat, or should we say orange when? Isn't that right, Terry? Or oh, is that is that is that left over from the ones we bought at that massive liquor store in Knoxville? <laughs> it is. It is the uh, one of the many things that we brought back from Knoxville that were in cans and mason jars. Um... <laughs> I've never seen that much variety of liquor in my life. That was like, uh, that was like. Willy Wonka's liquor store. Right <laughs> it was uh, it was hard to decide. Uh, it was very hard to decide. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, but uh, as you as you have picked up on, undoubtedly, um, with our eight listeners, which I'm making up because I didn't bother to look at the stats. Uh, I was, was going to say we're up, but no, you just made it up. <laughs> I just made it up. As most things, we just we just make it up. Uh, we are we're back after spending a, a weekend in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and watching the. Tennessee Volunteers beat the uh, Florida Gators. It was uh, quite a game, quite an experience. We got to go to college game day, Terry. I thought it was a great experience. It was was the perfect college football trip if you wanted to, like, distill it into one weekend. I would agree. I had a ton of fun. Uh, I I thought it was great. You you know, I've been wanting to go to a big-time sort of SEC program, um, just get the experience of being in that crowd, seeing it, uh, you know, up – close and personal and it didn't disappoint and we like you said we got all of it we had college game day at the scene get to see uh, we got to see herbie and the guys uh you know up close and personal um got to see all the the uh pre-game uh march um unfortunately there was a religious crazy person behind us that was telling us about jesus while we were trying to focus on the football game um but it was still great. And then we got to the game and it was super packed. You had a checkerboard. Um, you had a sold out crowd at, uh, at, at uh, Knoxville Newland stadium um, big time game, Tennessee off to one of their best starts in a while. A lot of bad blood between these two teams, uh, Tennessee, you know, has not fared well in this rivalry. So um, there was a lot of emotion going into this game and uh, you're uh fiance a massive Tennessee fan and we saw up close and personal you know how nervous she was and just the range of emotions that um Tennessee football has been through and is going through and uh 
the commitment that they have to their football program. And, um, you know, there were ups and there were downs, but uh, it, Tennessee pulled out the victory. It got a little close to the end, but they won. And it was an important win for them. I think they're starting to be on the map now. Hendon Hooker's on the map. Um, and on top of that, you had all the pageantry, the pregame uh, band march on the field, which was phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I, I just I thought it was a great experience. I, I had a great time with with uh, you and Amy just uh, being there with you guys. And um, it was it was good. I think it was everything you could ask for in a, a college football Saturday. I, I couldn't agree more, Terry. Um, really enjoyed it. It was great to, to get to neyland stadium again it's been um seven years or so uh, mm-hmm. and great for one of the the best college football rivalries i mean really bad blood uh mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun um and you know a huge shout out the first time in person in game day um and you know i what i really took away from that experience was just uh what you see on television is really what you get in the crowd there they capture the essence of that and the essence of college football so well um and it was just a lot of fun and you know enjoyed seeing uh former mountaineer pat mcafee um Mm. he's you know he is that person off air and on air just a lot of fun um really great great time great experience great game and uh you know double win uh, as as tulane alum because billy napier of course the florida head coach used to be the louisiana lafayette head coach and right. so anytime uh, a raging cajun loses it's a, a good day especially when it's his fault fits up that big penalty and uh you know called that two-point conversion instead of kicking the extra point and uh yeah. you know really at fault there right yeah double win for sure but yeah no the guy i'm with you the game day experience i mean you know as they say, you know, come big rich come to New York City. That's that's what they do. They just plop down right there on campus and they set up the cameras. And uh, it's not like there's not a lot of distance between the fans and the show. The show is a traveling show that happens right then and there. Uh, Pat McAfee was uh, jamming out to the music during commercial breaks. He was he was the only one doing so out of the five. But he's just you know having his groove there. So uh, yeah, just like you said, uh, just a fun experience all around. And, you know, intensity, you felt the passion, you felt the excitement, certainly not uh, a relaxing experience by any means. But um, I, I would say it, li- it lived up to uh, to the hype for sure. Absolutely. The only bad part of the entire weekend, and um, I do think maybe I'm, we're going to steal from Door Bumper Clear and do a start a what an idiot segment. Uh, but the refereeing, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, that game was four hours long solely because they had to review every little thing. I mean, guys laying in the end zone three yards deep and they're reviewing it because they didn't call it a touchdown. So what a bunch of idiots that was. But um, that was bad. nonetheless, you know, meant, meant more time in Neyland and uh, a great game. Um, but obviously, it's it's been a couple weeks since uh, we've gotten together. And so we're going to start off... Um, where we would usually have some correspondence and a little look back at the the previous week. We're actually going to start with kind of, you know, we are entering in week five of 15, technically, if you include week zero. So we're almost a third of the way through the regular season. So we're going to do a little, uh, the season so far catching up, uh, got some questions here for you and, uh, you talked about, you know, what we've, we've seen unfold and what has already been a crazy season. I mean, you looked at, you know, I'm going to toot my own horn for once, uh, what the Sun Belt did in one week and Marshall and App State. And, uh, you know, since then, the Sun Belt has itself had some chaos, but um, a lot of crazy things going on. You know, a lot of teams in the top 10 that uh, frankly haven't been there um, in a while. Um, and, you know, I think 
there's just there's a lot going on here terry so let's jump right into it um what has been your biggest takeaway so far you know one takeaway so far this season in the first uh four weeks well you were on point about the sun belt i'll give you that uh, you know the sun belt has been nuts um the fun you know, belt. it's tough it's tough it is crazy that we're a third of the way through i'll say it's you know I don't think it's it's been the most exciting uh, first quarter. I think there's been um, this is a tune-up period for a lot of teams, and there's been a lot of uh, matchups that, uh, quite frankly, aren't um, aren't up to par. But uh, you know, off the top, you know, when you do have those upsets and some of those, um, you know, Group of Five, Power Five matchups and those uh, those. Um, FCS, FBS matchups in those first few weeks, that's sort of where a lot of the excitement comes from. Um, I think, you know, for at least the first three weeks, I'd, I'd say App State has been as big a story as anyone just because of uh, the the way they've been able to um, to win football games and, you know, back-to-back-to-back series and just some of uh, the um, the excitement from which they've done it. And, and of course, there's always going to be upsets. We saw Middle Tennessee upset Miami, which was nuts last week. Um, and so I think, you know, some of the, some of those games have been exciting, but, um, yeah, I think there's been, there's been a lot of changes at, uh, some of the big time programs, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame hasn't, you know, and lived up to par. And then you've had, uh, Jimbo Fisher kind of being, you know, a disappointment so far. And so, um, I think it's, it's not really, it's not outside of Georgia. It's not really clear to me. Um, who is a top dog in this race. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of movement, you know, there's, there was a lot of, you know, long QBs graduating last year, QBs that have been at their team for a while and a lot of movement in the transfer portal and coaching movement. And I think um, a lot of teams are still trying to, trying to get their footing here in, in sort of a, a reshuffled uh, FBS. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think you're right. Uh, I think there's been a lot of, um, if you're a college football fan, you're getting a lot of what you hope for. Um, you know, I think that the big thing I'm going to take away is that George is still top dog. Uh, and um, it's hard to see anybody but Alabama beating Georgia. And we've seen Alabama not necessarily have a, a great, uh, great start to the season. Um, so I think, you know, the, the college football playoff race is can anybody beat Georgia? But we still have a question about um, who's that number four going to be? Um, and so I think that that's a, a big thing that is emerging and maybe even who that number three and number four are going to be um, if Alabama maybe slips up at some point or you talk about only one SEC team getting in if Alabama doesn't impress. I don't know. Um, I think that's still, you know, a little bit early to, to count them off. But uh, nonetheless, you know, I think we've seen really what makes college football great. We've seen the return of some old rivalries. We've seen the emergence of some new ones. Uh, We've seen big upsets. I mean, that MTSU win, you know, I think uh, you're looking at what Miami did to to get Cristobal there and what they're investing and they go out and they lose the middle and they don't just lose to MTSU. I mean, let's be honest here. They get obliterated by middle Tennessee state that, you know, we were watching that scoreboard uh, in Tennessee um, and that was not a close game. So, you know, I think there's, 
a lot to to you know um enjoy about this as we talked about at the beginning of it you know it's about the journey more than the destination and and the journey so far i think has been entertaining um and i think you know as we move into conference play more is looking to just be more and more entertaining but you know i think the three big questions to me when it comes down to you know that journey toward the college football playoff championship can anybody beat georgia is Bama going to be college football playoff bound? And who's that number four or number three and number four? Um, there's a lot going on there. And you look at, you know, the top 10 right now, and uh, you look in Michigan and Ohio State uh, are at number three and four. You look at Clemson, who frankly hasn't impressed. Um, I mean, I know they beat a right, ranked Wake Forest team last week in double overtime, but eh, not impressive. USC struggled against Oregon State. I'm still not convinced. Right. And then you get down into Kentucky, Tennessee, um, NC State. I, I just, you know, I think Oklahoma State, you know, at the beginning of the year was still one of my pits. I still feel good about it. But yeah. then number three, number four, uh, it's it's a pretty wide open race still. I would agree. I, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Georgia has just been uh at a different beast they've been at a different level you know for all the hype we had about alabama coming in it's it's been georgia that's really just taken that unequivocal number one spot and that's you know very clear for anyone who who has eyes and is watching college football they they look confident they they're they're going to be a playoff team they're probably going to be the number one seed um they're just at a different level than anyone else and yeah i mean Alabama, you know, maybe after losing all these wide receivers, it's it will be a bit more difficult. I don't think they're going anywhere, but certainly um, that very close win against Texas, uh, who who has not looked great by any means, I think raised some eyebrows. Um, and I think uh, that, you know, I agree with you about the college football playoff, that it's, it's not super clear right now. I mean, um, it's not going to be Notre Dame. We now know that, you, you know, uh, Obviously, AM doesn't look very good. Um, Ohio State, Michigan, we'll see how they look down the road. Uh, I, I don't see anyone really in the Big 12 or the Pac-12 competing. Um, but I think that um, – where was I going with that? Um, I, it's I think just that, a normal train of thought loss, you know? Yeah, no, I got it. I, I think that um, the the most information is, is – uh, ahead of us right now i think you know once we move into conference play that is really going to separate the house from the have-nots and show us what we really who these teams really are because you can't really tell from you know some of these cupcake schedules early on i mean you know michigan had you know a cakewalk schedule you know we don't really know who they are um usc we don't really know who they are you know they they faced a test against oregon state and, and did not look very good um and so, you know, it's Tennessee for real, is Kentucky for real, some of those lower level SEC teams. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to, especially for some, like I alluded to, some of the new programs and the new coaches, we're going to uh, get to see once conference play begins, uh, who, who is for real and, and who isn't. And the field should now very quickly. But as you said, right now, it's, it's a bit of a question mark who's going to fill out the, those three and four spots. It, you know, it's, it's hard for me to see. Um... And I'm sorry for saying this, but it, it's hard for me to see a team like Kentucky, a team like Tennessee or NC State or Penn State. Um, I, I don't think that they're they're where their rankings are. I think that some of those teams, Kentucky, Tennessee, USC, are good teams, um, top 15 teams. But I don't see any of them as partially because of schedule, partially I, I still don't buy into USC. Um yeah. I just don't see those as college football playoff teams. And so when you're looking at it, you know, we talked about 
there has been a rather large gap for the most part um, between the top three seeds and the fourth seed. And it's yeah. hard to see that not emerging again, assuming Alabama gets in. Um, and I think assuming, um, you know, that you have the Big Ten East champion. And and I think we both agree that, you know, Ohio State is is in the lead there. Um, it's It's hard for me to see whoever that fourth team is getting in that they're going to challenge much of anybody in that, that top three bracket. Um, that said, I still think Oklahoma state is, is a very good team and we'll see what yeah. they do against Baylor. Um, that's going to be a great game rematch of the big 12 championship and, and the big 12, you know, I think that some people would say the big 12, look at them. They're, they're not very good this year, especially when Oklahoma state might get a loss, you know, and everybody in the conference minus Kansas, uh, which is back. If there's one team in the big 12, that is back. It is not Texas. It is Kansas. Um, Where did they come from? And it's exciting. You know, you saw a sold out stadium last week. And and so hopefully Kansas, Hey, I think it's great um, to have Kansas back. And I, I hope that the coach sticks around and doesn't go to Nebraska, but I, you know, by far, the Big 12 might be, um, sorry the SEC fans, it might be the best conference top to bottom. When you actually look at, and we talked about this earlier, um, you know, in our preview, you know, the top eight teams could win, and that was discounting Kansas at the time. Any team in that conference could make the conference championship game. Still, um, obviously, we haven't started to play, but just looking at the, the beginning of the season, it would not be hard to imagine a three-loss team getting into the conference championship game, and that could be anyone in the conference. And that's a pretty exciting race. Um, but, you know, to that point, I think Oklahoma State still yeah. is a team that might justify that fourth spot looking at it right now. No, I, I would agree with you. You know, they, like you said, not a lot of, you know, Clemson will probably roll through that ACC, but I don't, they're certainly not at the strength that we've seen them in previous years, despite having cleaned up some stuff from last year. Um, Oklahoma, another one of those teams that looked great in, in uh, non-conference play, and then they go and they, they lose to K-State once again, who just absolutely has their number. I mean, it seems like they've lost to K-State every year. A yeah. Kansas State team that the week before lost to Tulane. Anyway, right, right, uh, which is why you can't use the transitive property in college football. But another thing I'll say about Kansas is, is that, you know, Jalen Daniels, I, you know, you have to get used to these new players fairly quickly in college football. And, and I, I thought to myself, well, who is Jalen Daniels? He's a guy that's basically won the September Heisman. And I looked him up. He's a three star recruit. Uh, and he was the, the 49th ranked dual threat quarterback. That is not a high level recruit in the slightest bit, which just comes to show you how impressive his, his level of play has been and the fact that, uh, you know, recruiting isn't everything. I mean, 49th is pretty low. I'll just, uh, you know, they really only listed up to 50 here before I have to press continue on 24-7 sports. And just to give you a sense of who's ahead of him, you have Bryce Young at one. Obviously, he's great. Hudson Card at two has been nothing special. Haynes King at five, who just got benched. Uh, Jeff Sims at, at 10. Uh, Hunter Deckers at 13. Um, so, you know, just a, a great story all around for Kansas and, and Jalen Daniels. You know, despite the fact that my team was a victim of Kansas's rise, um, which was not a an extra point that I got, it, it really has been great to see. I think the other thing that's been interesting is um, we know that a group of five team is going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, that race is wide open. Uh, you, right now, there are two undefeated group of five teams left. One of them is ineligible for for um, any postseason because this is the first year that James Madison had moved up to FBS, and there's a stupid antiquated rule that means they're not eligible for the postseason. Um, 
And the other one is Coastal Carolina, which is not the same Coastal team that we saw a couple of years ago. So, I mean, that race is wide open. Um, and the Sun Belt, you know, has put together some great upsets already, but it's also hard not to see uh, whoever the winner of the American is, which is wide open emerging. I mean, that's a really, we talked about the Big 12 being a wide open race, and it is. But if you look at the group of five, that race for the New Year's Sits game, somebody's going to get it. And that is wide open right now. And that's going to be a really interesting cross-conference um, race that's going to go, you know, really all through conference championship weekend. It, it, it's. I don't think we're going to see a team emerge. Um, and, you know, I think if you have to pick a, a horse right now, if you were going to put down money, you'd put down money on Cincinnati still um, because they are who they are. But I think that it's wide open uh, and it, it should be a really great, entertaining thing to watch. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's a good point. And I think we're, um, you know, looking ahead to playoff expansion, right? I think it's this is another example of how it's going to be a better product when you have a 12 team playoff because um, there are a lot of group of five teams and conferences that are really competitive and only are becoming more so uh, throughout as the years go on. And I think if you're a casual viewer of, of uh, college football you don't pay much attention to the group of five but uh, you know there there are teams there and programs there that are building well and that are you know deserve a spot to compete uh, for a championship um so uh, but, you know that's another area in which i think uh playoff expansion will behoove us all because of like you said the competitiveness at this point of, of the group of five which as you said is wide open right now Absolutely. And the last point I wanted to make before we move on to our actual main topic, um, but the last thing I wanted to discuss was speaking of wide open the Pac-12, um, I think that this is another thing you can argue is back. The Pac-12 has put on not only some of the most entertaining football, but they genuinely have good teams this year. And they're yeah. three undefeated teams. USC, Washington are ranked. UCLA is still undefeated, although uh, likely to come to an end against Washington yeah. this weekend. But Oregon and Utah are both ranked. Um, you know, I think despite the fact that I'm not buying into USC as this elite college football playoff team, it's for sure that they're a top 20 team. Um, yeah. And you could argue easily that there are four top 20 teams, possibly five top 25 teams. Oregon State looked fantastic. Maybe sits even if you include UCLA. So, I mean, the Pac-12 is definitely back. The race is wide open there as well. Um no divisions. You're going to take the top two. And right now, you know, teams that are one and oh, it's USC, UCLA, Washington, Cal, Oregon, and Utah. USC is actually two and oh. Um, any of those two teams could make that second seed and get into the Pac 12 championship game. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's the Pac 12 has been not very good for a few years. I don't know if they got the message after USC and UCLA left that they didn't want to be uh, left behind. But I, I think also just a lot of those those coaching changes. I mean, obviously, it's a new era at USC. I think UCLA, Chip Kelly's been there for so long that it's it's finally starting to come together. And obviously, you know, Washington is, is back to where they should be, you know, after a weird one-year blip for them. Um, I think Oregon State's been steadily building uh, their program. And, um, you know, Washington State as well with a coaching change looks better too. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, there it's it's all in front of us right now, and and there's a lot to be figured out between now and uh, whenever um, the the college football playoff committee begins to meet. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you make a good point. What a good time for the Pac-12 and the non-USC, non-UCLA. Although we'll see what happens with UCLA with the UC yeah. chancellors um, having it having a bit of an issue there. Um, but we'll see what happens. But what a great time 
for the Pac-12's 10 teams to show up and put on an entertaining product, uh, making you know Pac-12 after dark a thing to, to tune into because it has real implications. Um, it's a great thing for the conference. It's something that they haven't seen in, you know, years. Uh, and so, you know, by all means, happy to have um, major conferences back and actually competing. And to that matter, the ACC is going to be an interesting thing as we see, uh, you know, we'll make our pits later on, but Clemson and NC State this yeah. week, um, you know, for all I don't buy into NC State being a top 10 team, it's going to be a great football game nonetheless. But Terry, and one and one thing I'll throw out, I forgot in my Pac-12 teams, Oregon. Ever since that Georgia loss, has looked phenomenal. Now that that's been the case, the bonus has been great. They haven't, they haven't been able to get over the Utah hump or, or transfer it into. I mean, Utah's been obviously great for years now. Oregon hasn't been able to transfer that into the Pac-12 championship game. But with a new coach, and you know, every week I watch college football final, they say there's good Bo Nix and there's bad Bo Nix. Uh, and this week we have good Bo Nix, but it's been all good Bo Nix ever since the Georgia loss. I mean, you know, they they just are boat racing people. Now, again, they, you know, conference schedule, anything could change, but um, that's another team that looks, you know, very competitive. And of course I forgot Utah, they'll, they're the defending champion as well. So a um, lot to be figured out here moving forward. Absolutely. And it's, I think it is easy to see and not saying it's an easy path, but it's easy to see where the PAC 12 could easily get into that fourth spot or especially yeah. get into the CFP. If there are three and four open, um, yeah. but this is not what we came to talk about today, Terry. Do you know what football we're discussing on our return podcast? Yeah, I think we're discussing a, a Facebook argument you got into. Is that correct? That's right, Terry. We're talking about the great common public square that is social <laughs> media where only informed takes that are justified and well-based in evidence are allowed. No, we are talking... <laughs> about the disaster the antiquated 1960s that is the big 10 west conference and we're naming this when tradition gets in the way yes terry i as a wisconsin alum know quite a few wisconsin fans i myself don't call myself a wisconsin fan although i'll root for them but the one thing that will always stick with me from having season tickets was the badgers being number four in the country playing an unranked BYU team and not being able to do anything and losing the game to unranked BYU on our way to a lovely, I believe, seven and five season. All because Paul Christ doesn't believe in offense after 1988. So Terry, we are titling this when tradition gets in the way. We can talk about Wisconsin all we want. I'm happy to talk Wisconsin more, but I think we have other examples too. And this of course is timely because it comes as the Badgers who started a top 20 ranking in the season uh, came off a 52 21 drubbing by Ohio state, where at one point they trailed 45 to seven going into the fourth quarter. So Terry, I think that we can agree. College football has changed yeah. uh, over the course of its history it has become a very offensive game, although having a good defense is important, as Georgia has continuously, um, over the last several years, pointed out. But nonetheless, we have teams like Iowa winning games where they don't score an offensive touchdown and their defense outscores their offense 4-3. to three. And you have the Wisconsin Badgers who threw for a whole 94 yards last week against Ohio State. 
And yet these two teams are considered the cream of the crop in the Big Ten West and won't change their ways when they have setbacks. So what is it, Terry, about Wisconsin and Iowa and the Big Ten West that makes it that they won't change their ways? Well, this isn't just a college football thing. This extends to the NFL. You have to understand that a lot of coaches would rather are stubborn. They would rather lose their way of doing things than uh, adapt and, and change. But, you know, I, I don't know what it is about the Big Ten West in particular. I think, you know, I can speak to Iowa having seen them in the Big Ten championship game last year that it was obvious as, you know, they had a nice start to the season, but it was obvious as the season went on that their offense was impotent and that uh, it wasn't going to change as long as uh, Steve Ferentz, the son of the head coach, uh, remained in charge of play calling, yet he's there. Uh, Spencer Petras is still there, and nothing has changed. Having said that, I would not at all be surprised if they beat Michigan this this weekend um, because it's. I just have a bad feeling about that. But, uh, you know, uh, hardball losses aside, there's no question that um, it, they just run an offense that uh, – if you want to score as few points as possible, it's a good way to run offense. And um, I think if we, you know, just inform the viewers here about your uh, little Facebook tiff, um, essentially the claim you make is that, you know, Paul Christ over at Wisconsin uh, values playing a certain way. He values, uh, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust running the football. And um, that is not a viable way to win in today's uh, college football game. And, um, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, that seemed to upset a lot of people uh, from Wisconsin. And I just uh, want to point out, it upsets people more in Wisconsin that I said this, that the fact that Paul Chris has drawn, let's see, seven and five when ranked number four. I, I just want to read off some stats here. Yeah, go ahead. And I don't want to, I don't want to bore our, our listeners, but let's just be very clear that in 2018, Wisconsin went seven and five, despite being number four in the country. In 2019, they were ranked number six in the country. They lost to Illinois as a 30 and a half point favorite. 30 right. and a half points. Since that loss, Wisconsin is 13 and 10 against Big Ten teams and 4 and 10 against ranked opponents. All the while, if you look at their losses, they're scoring under 20 points. This isn't how you this isn't how you play modern college football. This, you know, you can have a run first offense. But you cannot line up in an I formation with two tight ends and a fullback and expect to win games in modern college football. It's just not how where the rules incentives are. It's not the fact where you're seeing the athletic prowess that you're seeing. This is, you know, they are averaging still in 2022. Now, so going back four years, they're averaging less than 200 yards in passing a game, which is ridiculous. Um, And this is their highest year so far. But at the same time, they're recruiting where they have the highest ranked quarterback recruit in school history, Graham Burks. Um, And they're recruiting the three best recruitment classes that they've had have been the last three seasons. So they're getting the players. They're getting the best players that they've had, but Paul Chris, and this is really what it comes down to. And there are several coaches that are like this. You can point to a lot of coaches. Coaches are arrogant. Coaches are oftentimes toxic as we've talked about. Um, Coaches are stubborn. And the fact is that this is because Paul Chris refuses to change his offense to meet his players. You have a mobile quarterback and Graham Mertz, and yet you're still playing three yards and a cloud of dust. Yeah, it's putting a square peg into a round hole, right? And I, I think, uh, you know, the type of style that 
um, Paul Chris wants to play. It, it, it's just, it's not, like you said, it's not where the game is right now. And that goes back to the high school level and seven on seven camps, right? I mean, these athletic quarterbacks are running option plays and you can't, you know, you, it's not like Jim Harbaugh back at Stanford. You can't, in today's era of college football, you can't draft offensive linemen and, and running backs that are going to uh, make it worth it for that system. I mean, it's, you know, it's fun when you have a Jonathan Taylor and you can hand it off and he'll go 80 yards on a given time, but those guys are hard to find. So essentially what you're doing is you're, um, you're minimizing your talent and, you know, in terms of your thesis that, you know, college football is more about, you know, identity than anything else. I think, it, you know, if you go, you take a look at Wisconsin and Paul Christ, it's sort of like that, you know, cold weather, you know, tough nosed, you know, we're going to grind it out. Right. And we're, we're not about flash. We're about, you know, playing real football. And that that's a mindset along among uh, a lot of coaches. And I think, um, you know, if you've done things a certain way, it's easy to, you know, look at going from, you know, all, all of offense with their, you know, all of college football's offense with their fancy spread looks. Well, we're going to, we're going to do it old style. We're going to get it in the huddle and we're going to put two backs on the field and we're going to hand it off. And, you know, that's how you play football. And it's, it's, you know, that's, that is, like you said, a choice and that's, that's an identity thing. And I understand how um, that can feel good in certain ways, but it's, it's just not a recipe for winning at a higher level in, in today's era of college football. And like you said, it's not the, you know, you have to spread it out and be Mike Leach. I mean, there are many, you know, most offense are, is fusion. There are many ways to mix huddle and no huddle, to mix run and pass games, but um, to continually do things one way. And, you know, Wisconsin, and like you said, it's not just Wisconsin. We're just, you know, talking about them because that's where the conversation went up and because you have experience there as, as an alum, uh, you went to law school there. Um, but uh, Wisconsin is trending in the wrong direction. I mean, they, they won the Big Ten, um, West in 2017 and 2018, I believe, and they haven't won it since then. I mean, I think they tied one year, but um, again, if you want to say, well, we can't beat Ohio State, that's fine, but there's no reason, the West is not a good, you know, conference, a division. There's no reason they should not be the best team in the West, but they've lost a lot of games that they shouldn't be losing. I mean, they've, like you said, the loss to BYU, the loss to Illinois, and uh, the reason that happens is because when you run a style of offense where you know every game is going to be close and when every game is close sometimes it doesn't go your way you know it's like the Tennessee Titans in last year's playoff right I mean they won they lost by a field goal that was that's how they play football right they the, that game went you know they outside the turnovers that game went how they wanted it to go and you know you just come out on the wrong side of it sometimes um but you know there, there is a you know the idea that coaches are infallible is just not true there they've been in the game for a while they often can't adjust to the modern um, era or, or to the way things are done now or to the analytics trend or any of that. I mean, um, I remember uh, the year before, um, what's his name? The, the, the last coach at South Carolina, um, Will Muschamp, before he got fired, uh, he hired, um, I don't remember the name of the guy, but he, he hired a new offense coordinator who said, you know, college football has gotten too, you know, too kind of cheap with the hurry up. We're going to run the huddle, right? And it's like, what is cheap about, you know, a tactic that takes advantage of offenses where they are? And you look at a guy like Nick Saban, who I think a trait that is overlooked with him is his ability to adapt. You know, he comes out 
around 2010. And he says, is this what we want college football to be? You know, clearly an old school guy, clearly a guy who values I formation, fullback running the football, clearly isn't comfortable with the new era, but understands that, you know, it's where the game is headed. And so he hires Lane Kiffin, he hires assistants to help him get there. And now his spread attacks are uh, almost impossible to stop. And it's just the game, college even more so than the pros, the game is always changing and you either have to adapt with it or you're left behind. And, and it's not just with off. I mean, there are plenty of different ways that manifests itself. I think if you look at Baylor and Dave Aranda, I mean, he talked about how much he had to change just personality wise and connecting his players in between his first year and his second year. And what a difference that made for them winning the big 12 last year. Even, you know, you look at Jim Harbaugh, who, you know, last year, he finally gets over the hump. He had to, he had to change his entire coaching staff. I mean, he, he had to get younger. I mean, he hired, you know, after, you know, having Don Brown around and stuff, he had to hire guys that were like 30 or, or younger to help him kind of um, connect to the players, but also understand what the, the modern era of football is, despite coming from that, you know, power background. So um, it, it's just, if, if you can't, if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. And that is what we see with a lot of these coaches. And um, I think Will Chris is just one example of that, where sort of this, you know, cultural identity is leads to a stubbornness that holds your program back. And I think I think you mentioned two important names, because another name that we could easily call stubborn is Mike Leach. And and we've we've talked about it a little bit before, but you know, he's so loyal to his air raid. Yeah. Um and the opposite, the, right? It, you know, right. It's, too much. it's not just, you know. Right. You know, it, it's so one-dimensional. Um, but that is who he is, and that's who you know you're hiring when you hire him. Um, and frankly, if you're a, a defensive coordinator, that's what you know you're going up against. Um and some of that is the fact that, you know, the same reason why you see the hurry up offense, um, you see Josh Heupel and how he's instituted at Tennessee, that high tempo offense, um, more than anywhere else in college football, you have players and that are athletes who are smart enough to be able to adapt offensively and use that advantage. Um, but they're not quite the pro caliber football smart that you're getting day in and day out in the NFL, meaning you know, if you're talking about five cornerbacks, maybe one of them can make it in the NFL uh, and an SEC team, but you're not getting five across the board, that it's going to be harder for the defense to be able to adjust to a high tempo, hurry up offense. And so there's an inherent advantage there. And that's why it's successful. That's why you've seen it, you know, explode um, sometimes, you know, to the hyper degree that is Hypel's offense, but across the board, you've seen it explode over the last 20 years. And that's the reason for it is because, in college football, there are inherent advantages and disadvantages because you're working with 18 to 23 to 24 year olds. And so if your guy can run fast and you can get the play call in and you can use both of those things to your advantage on offense, then inherently you have an advantage over top of the defense. And, and to choose not to use that at least some right. of the time means that you're giving up that inherent advantage that you have. And, and there's no reasonable, there's no logical explanation um, for, for doing so, for not taking advantage of those things. To do so is almost malpractice um, <laughs> if you want to win. And you talk about hypo and, and, you know, the, the, you know, you have a, a higher, you have a high level of athlete, but you don't have, you know, NFL caliber corners. So you're able to do that um, with a, you know, a speed offense that is fairly simple, but it's, it just allows the, the players to go play. Right. And that's why you're able to go fast because of the simplicity. It's also, you know, in this, we talked about a little bit in the first episode, some of the schematic 
um, diversity in college you don't see in the NFL. It's also just because of the width of the field, right? You have really wide hash marks in the NFL. And because of that, you just, um, the wide side of the field, you can throw screens and, and go routes that the safety is not going to be able to get to. And, and in the same sense, that's also going to open up seams in the middle of the field. Safeties just cannot cover uh, that much width. And it's very different to where the NFL is, game is played almost entirely in the middle of the field. You just have so much room to the outside of the field in college football. And like you said, when you're turning around and handing the ball off over the middle of the field, it's just, it's literal space that you, you're not using. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, the second name I wanted to say there um, was Nick Saban. And that is, yeah. you know, one of the things that makes Nick Saban great, he is an, he is a great coach. He has a great high amount of emotional intelligence. He has a great football mind. But one of the things that makes him great, and this is, pro- is going to get on everyone that hates Nick Saban's nerves, is the amount of humility that he carries to recognize that he doesn't know everything. So he surrounds himself with people that know more than him and he's willing to adjust and to not do so because arguably Nick Saban is one of the three best college football coaches of all time. And you can make the argument in the era that we're in now that he is the greatest, but for Nick Saban to do that, then that means every coach that is not in that conversation should automatically be doing that, you know? And and so the fact is that, you know, I, I'm going to use the word arrogance. And again, that doesn't come as a surprise. We're talking about college football coaches, but there's an arrogance that you carry if you're Mike Leach or you're Paul Chris, um, or you're running, you know, for some of the triple option, you know, I'm thinking back to Georgia tech, uh, you know, you a little while ago, but you know, there's, there's an arrogance where you're saying, well, my system is the best. And the fact is that the rules, the way they are in college football, the shift in the game that we've seen over the last 25 years, you know, you have to adapt with the times if you want to be successful. Um, And the fact is that Iowa, and I think Iowa is a much better example because I think that they're even more extreme. I mean, when you literally beat an FCS team seven to three and four of your points are from safety. Not even a touchdown, yeah. that, That is probably, to be frank, the lowest of low of offense that we have seen in college football since, you know, probably pre-World War II. We're talking about like, you know, going back to Princeton Rutgers. Um, So, you know, it's, it's a choice. It's a choice that you're making. It's a choice that um, the athletic departments are making by leaving those. And, and it's not like these these coaches are, are not well paid. Paul Chris makes five and a half million dollars a year. Paul Chris is probably um, undoubtedly the, the highest paid public employee in the state of Wisconsin. And he's in charge of a team that sure did not have success um, before Barry Alvarez and the early 2000s, but nonetheless now has 20 years of success as one of the um, top NFL quarterbacks at they count as an alum in Russell Wilson produces great NFL talent through and through. Like this is a marquee program and one of the supposedly two best conferences and a division that they should win year in and year out because the talent level in their division, as you pointed out, is so disproportional. And the thing is, you look at the Big Ten um, and you look at the division between East and West, the thing that makes the East better. And by better, we mean there are at least three, if not four East teams, I would say, that are better than anybody in the West. Oh, yeah. Oh, looking yeah. at Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Those oh, are all better teams than in the West, where right now I think your top your top team is Minnesota. And you can argue over the last decade it's been Wisconsin. Um, but all four of those teams have had better decades. And the reason for that 
in large part, as antiquated as some of the offensive schemes are at Michigan, Michigan State, that you could argue, the fact is that all of their coaches have adapted at some level to modern college football in a way that we haven't seen with the West. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, you talk about arrogance, it's my way or the highway, right? It's, you know, another example that just came to my mind uh, from Michigan, you know, Don Brown. I think Don, Don Brown was a guy defensively who would literally shut people out. You know, I think I think that you remember the Wisconsin game and I think it was 2018 where I think you guys like were barely at 100 yards offense, couldn't get anything going. I mean, that was Don Brown's MO, but then, you know, Ohio State went to spread offense and they would put up 60 points on us because uh, you can't play one-on-one -on, -one on the back end against spread. Like you just can't. And so it worked uh, when the time was there, but it, it, it became antiquated and, and, and we had to change. And I think that change was as important as any change we've made offensively. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to Saban, I think um, he was a guy that ran an old school style football. It was uh, eye formation, two back power. Quarterback was a game manager at best. You know, his quarterbacks weren't getting drafted to the NFL, certainly not as starters. Um, and that was a style of football that that worked the the most at, at the time he ran it. And like you said, that he he didn't want to change, but he knew he had to change. And that's that's where the open mindedness and ability to adjust for Nick Saban is, I think, an underrated trait in terms of how good a coach he is. And and but if you look at what happened, is that um, well, first Jalen Hurts came, and Jalen Hurts obviously a great NFL QB now. Love the kid, you know, great kid. He he's got a bright future out of him. But at the time, he was. Uh, he was not a developed passer at all. He was essentially one read and, and run. So he had to build an offense that catered to Jalen Hurts, uh, which, which meant running an option style offense and using his quarterback in the run game. And then uh, Tua Tungabailoa came in and you, he, you had these receivers like, uh, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. And, uh, you know, I, I think he was like four deep at receiver at the time, uh, Henry Ruggs, obviously that didn't turn out well. And um you know, just all these Calvin Ridley, all these big time players. And, you know, you can't keep that talent on the bench. You can't, you know, have those guys and and, and just keep running the football. So their strength, you know, once Tua took over, it became throwing the football in the RPO game. And so, you know, you would spread out the field and make the defense cover all these guys. And that was impossible. So you, it's, it's, it's a question of, um, do you adjust uh, your scheme to your talent or vice versa? And the, and the better coaches are the ones uh, that adjusts their scheme to their talent versus, you know, like I said, forcing a square peg into a round hole. And not to beat up on, you know, on Wisconsin still. Um, but you have you have the best recruiting that you've ever had. You have Graham Mertz, who is, was seen as this elite quarterback, who in his first game did put up elite points. And then they proceeded to basically not score 20 points the rest of that season. It was 2020. But still, you know, it's about adjusting to your personnel. And that's what the good coaches do. But you know, I also think tying this back kind of to our bigger point and bigger thesis on, on identity that we often, you know, interweave and talk about, you know, it, it's okay to, to choose to do this as an institution, because as you alluded to, um, one of the reasons that Wisconsin does this is because it's about their identity. It's about having big farm boys, big dairy farm boys, um, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust and, and having these big kids running, you know, the ball 30 times a game. That's that's the identity. And that identity is tied to the state. 
Um, and so it's okay to make that decision. It really is because that's what college football is, is it's an identity thing, but, and, and there are other schools that do it. So, but what I think we saw, um, both kind of in the thread that emerged on social media on my status, but just generally too, I think in, in anecdotal conversations that we have is that there are often excuses made for this rather than just saying that's who we are. That's what we're choosing. Right. You know, don't, don't tell me that you can't recruit when almost 75% of your top two on offense and defense aren't from Wisconsin. You know, don't, don't tell me that this is, you know, this isn't a thing because you can't recruit people from, you know, warm places when the majority of your defense is from California, Hawaii, and Florida. Like, so don't tell me these things. There are very few programs um, in college football today. This wasn't the truth before, you know, the late eighties, but the truth is today that location and regionalism play a a much smaller role than they did and the talent that you're attracting and outside of, you know, I would argue out, out, outside of Vanderbilt, outside of maybe Northwestern, um, those are the teams that kind of choose academics and, and the FBS and outside of the service academies where it's really much, much of it's out of your hands in terms of who you're getting. And that's why you see them play um, athlete heavy things like the, you know, triple option outside of that, you're really choosing the players uh, and the type of players that you're getting. So when you, choose to recruit and you successfully recruit a four-star mobile quarterback from out of state, you need to adjust your offense to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And Wisconsin, you know, they, they, it's not a mid-level ACC team, right there again, just to reiterate, there's no reason they shouldn't be winning the West. I mean, maybe they don't get over, maybe they don't win the big 10, but you know, they've, it's, they've just underwhelmed in recent years. And I, I don't know how anyone can deny that. Absolutely. Um, but we will undoubtedly return to aspects of this conversation, but we are going to move on to RPO pick six. Let's do it. All right, Terry. So you are, we did make picks. We should say this. We've made picks. Um, despite the fact that we haven't had a podcast when you were in isolation, we tested each other. We've, so we've made picks, and right now you have the lead 29 to 24. Although I got a big two points mm-hmm. last week with my, uh, my extra point, but we're going to dive right in. Uh, we're going to go Friday night. Extra point and our RPO scores. Wait, what's that? Are you combining our extra point and our RPO pick six scores? Correct. Oh, it's all one? Okay. It's all one. So you're up by five. Okay. Which means you're going to lose by the end of this. But it's going to be a slow loss. It's going to be painful, brutal. Try to like, I don't know, Michigan, Ohio State will be in November. Talking a lot of trash for a guy who's, who's losing, but, you know, that's fine. The only score that matters is the score at the end. Mm-hmm. let's start friday night tulane and houston uh yeah i'm taking houston as you'll see i had them for my extra point here tulane coming off a loss here on the road uh i think houston takes care of business in this one i'm gonna go with the green wave not just because we're alum uh but because dana holderson should be on the hot seat in houston overrated coach toxic call coach toxic culture Green Wave are going to win just like they did a couple years ago when they faked a spike to, to win the game. Uh, big ranked SEC matchup between unbeatens, Kentucky and Ole Miss. I think if there's a year for Kentucky, it's got to be this one with Will Levis. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take Kentucky here. Kentucky, uh, you know, I think that's a, a good pick. I, I do think Ole Miss is pretty good. Uh, yeah. Kentucky, they struggled, you know, last week. Um, but I think Kentucky 
wins this game. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Will Levis, I, I saw a quote, you know, somebody said he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. I don't think he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, but I think he has a lot to prove. He's going to prove it. I think Kentucky wins. Staying in the SEC with ranked game. A number, you know, two team in the country, Alabama taking on Arkansas. Arkansas coming off a loss here. Trap game for Alabama. Arkansas played them pretty well for about three quarters last year. But, uh, you know, Alabama is the easiest pick in, in, in the sport. So I'm going to go with the tide here. I still think Alabama, despite, you know, saying what we did earlier about Georgia, I still think Alabama is number one in the country until – uh, I see otherwise, and they lose. Um, so I'm going to go Alabama. I trust Nick Saban. Arkansas, though, you know, I don't want to belittle them because I think that they, um, they're they having a great season. I think that they're a solid 9-3, and 10-2 season. They could make a New Year's Sits Bowl. Um, I think that's what has happened at that program is fantastic. But um, until you beat the King of the West, uh, you know, I'm not going to pick against them. Just a good culture fit in Sam Pittman there. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, really – Seeing uh, the support that they're getting from the state again is, is great. Um, rematch of the Big 12 championship game from last year. Um, Oklahoma State playing Baylor. This is a big game, Terry. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, both teams are pretty formidable Big 12 teams. Uh, Baylor, you know, defending Big 12 championship here. Uh, I'm going to take Oklahoma State. I think they've looked good this year. Uh, I think their offense has put it all together. And, you know, Spencer Sanders, one of those – I think six-year seniors, he's been around forever. So, and uh, this, again, I, I think I picked them. I don't know. I know you had them at a, in the college football playoff. I think I did too, although I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I'm, I think they, they get the win in this one. I hate to tell you, I, I looked at it earlier. You had uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> um, no, I, I'm going Oklahoma State. I think um, I genuinely think that they're probably a top – definitely top four top five team in country um and i think that were they to make the college football playoff it might actually be pretty interesting to see what they could do um that said i don't like mike gundy but oklahoma state's gonna gonna win that game uh the blue big blue taking on iowa i think i know what you're gonna pick here terry but i also think that we're we're probably on the same page hold on i had oklahoma state in the playoff didn't i now you had notre dame no, I had uh, um, I have it open right now. Notre Dame at four, and then I had Oklahoma State at three. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Oh. So, so settle down there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm taking I'm taking Michigan, but I this feels like such a trap game. Kinnick, weird stuff happens there. Uh, I I have to pick Michigan, but uh, you know, I I have a bad feeling about it. <laughs> if I thought that Iowa could score twenty points, if the entire state's existence depended on it. I might take Iowa. But the fact is that the Hawkeyes do not have an offense. Um, and, you know, if Michigan scores 10 points, it's going to be hard for Iowa to overcome that. I mean, that's just that's the truth of the matter here. Well, Michigan lost to uh, Iowa. I think I, can't, I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2016. I'll look it up real quick. But it was one of the, one of Harbaugh's first years. Um, and, uh, so it was not 2015. Uh, it was, it was 2016. Yeah. So th- this was the, you know, just quick tangent. This was a very crazy year for Michigan. They lost 13 to 14. I think they, they, they missed the field goal at the end. That was one of those Kinnick stadium, you know, weirdness games. And then obviously the, uh, 
the JT Barrett was short game, but uh, you know, I'll let it go. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 so you know, I'm, I would not be surprised if I would pull it off, but I'm with you. I, you know, they're just got to see something from that offense, and I, I don't see how it happens there. I mean, I, like you said, if Michigan could win it, you know, with 13 points, honestly, so they really could. The the last Pitts it's game, college game day game. NC State and Clemson, huge game with for the ACC. A lot of potential um, implications down the line. Who do you got? I just don't think the ACC is really good enough to uh, compete with Clemson. I, I don't think Clemson's that good, but I, I just think they continually play in a weak uh, weak conference. Uh, you know, NC State got this win over this upset over Clemson last year. I believe it was an overtime loss and uh, DJ, and it was in NC State. This one's in Death Valley. DJU is. Uh, playing better uh, recently than he was last year. So uh, I'm going to take Clemson in this one. And you're taking NC State. Wow, that surprised me. For uh, yeah, I, you know, going to the playoff. I think Clemson is probably still going to the playoff. Um, uh, you know, if they win this game, clearly, you know, that's going to look great in rankings for them. But uh, I think, uh, you know, Clemson didn't show me a lot to get excited about against Wake Forest last week. Wake Forest that struggled the week before. Um you know, you could argue Clemson could bounce back here, but Clemson hasn't shown us really anything all year, despite the fact that I think they're going to make the playoff. Um, I think NC State's going to gonna get the win. Um, I also need to make up some ground on you, but I think that it's going to be uh, a pretty good game. And I think this is, you know, this is where we're going to see who DJ is. Um, this game could determine a lot about how he's perceived in his, his college career. I think this is one of those games that kind of, People look back and say that was his real coming out party or, you know, he was a disappointment. Well, DJU threw for 500 yards and six touchdowns last week. That didn't that 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 wasn't a getting on the right track for you. No, it wasn't getting on the right track for me when, you know, when you score 51 points, but you have to go to double overtime to score 51 points. And you ultimately played Wake Forest, who I'm still not convinced. Look, as you said, the ACC is weak. Wake Forest was in the ACC championship game last year. The ACC is not good. So, uh, you know, he does, he, DJ goes out there and he does that against Tennessee. He does that uh, against Kentucky. He does that, you know, against the Big 12. He does that against Baylor. Then, sure, I'm on board. But look, at the end of the day, this has just not been impressive. And I, I do think NC State is a good team and, uh, you know, can compete with Clemson. Um, bottom line, you know, if it's anybody but an undefeated Clemson team coming out of the ACC, um, they're not, they're just a barely above average team. They're barely should be ranked in the top 25, I think. Um, and that goes for NC State, I think, too. I don't, I'll say this too. I don't think NC State will go undefeated if they win this game. Let's make that very clear. Yeah. Um, so, uh, extra points remind, you know, our listeners how it works. Uh, you choose a favorite. If they win outright, you get one point. If they cover, you get two. If you choose an underdog and they cover, you get one. If they win outright, you get two. Um, Carrie, who do you got for your extra point this week? I'm taking Houston over Tulane. Uh, Tulane had some turnovers last week. They were sloppy. Uh, I, I Houston takes care of business here. You know, Tulane's there. Uh, I, I know that. You have a special place in your heart for Tulane football, but I don't see it happening. And I see you're taking Wake Forest after just trashing just now. You're all over I the just place. trashed the whole ACC. First, I'll say, place. I will say that if you look up Dana Holderson and you look up the Tulane Angry Wave, 
they have very similar hairstyles. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to repost that this week. Maybe get some lovely hate comments from, I don't know anybody that likes Dana Hall. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know who's pro Dana. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'll say this. Tulane wins this game. Uh, we haven't talked in depth about, you know, September coach firings. Um, maybe that'll be our topic next week. But uh, he's going to be really on the hot seat uh, if, if he loses this game after the start he used to that. No, I, I am. Uh, Wake Forest is playing Florida State. Florida State is an even less proven team. I'm not convinced by anywhere it means that they're backed. They might get a update wins. Um, but, you know, undefeated Florida State. But Wake Forest is getting seven points against them. And at the end of the day, I do think Wake Forest is a better team than Florida State. I do think Sam Hartman is a decent quarterback. Uh, you know, Wake Forest might be the second or third best team in the ACC for what that's worth, but that means that they're better than Florida State. So if you're going to give me a touchdown, uh, I'm going to take Wake Forest because if nothing else, they've shown that they'll go to double overtime and lose by six, not seven. So give me Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons on that. Um, should be a great weekend of college football. We've there are a lot of ranked matchups this week, Terry, and you know, it starts, um, you know, it actually it starts Thursday. I think the, the podcast coming out Thursday morning. It's going to start um, Thursday night with uh, some in-state rivalry, BYU-Utah State. There are a couple of good games Friday night, including UTSA, Middle Tennessee State, Tulane-Houston, and, you know, Saturday, great games in, in every time slot. So it should be entertaining. I think, and I think it, it just to point something out, I think it kind of shows you the weird state of their program when, you know, you have LSU versus Auburn in prime time, and we're not even talking about it just because those those two programs are are not in a good place. Like, when was the last time that didn't matter? You know. Speaking of uh, September coach firings, there, uh, I guess October first is technically not September, but uh, be hard to see at Auburn maybe not uh, not making a move were they to lose that LSU game. So, who do you hire? Who, who do you, who do you get for Auburn? Oh, I think that that's a that's a whole podcast in itself. But I hear there's a lovely man by the name of Scott Frost looking for a job. Oh, uh, please no, <laughs> please yeah, we all, no. We all know that they're gonna go for uh, for someone that's uh, within the SEC. Maybe Dan Will Muschamp, Dan, Dan Mullen. Mullen. Hey, you know he's on TV now. Um, there's definitely a lot of uh, former SEC coaches. This is a, this is a pod topic that uh, is listed. Where uh, the you know incestuous uh, coach hirings where coaches yeah. don't go away that's a that's a commonality right there yeah. uh, with with uh, it's very incestuous NFL, NFL as well I mean it's just this tiny circle of why hire someone with a new idea when you can just go to the guy that's lost at four different places AKA Mike Leach <laughs> right right but it, but maybe he'll be better here yeah yeah I mean I'm sure that nobody in the SEC has ever seen a quarterback try to throw for 400 yards and just run four verticals in five different formations mm-hmm. nobody's ever that's well card yeah they're gonna be uh oh man that's uh oh 